Hey, what's up? It's another MFA Chronicles podcast. Thanks for coming back. I'm your host, The Zim. Today we're talking with Jody Rockwell and Sean Landis of Rockland Residency. But before we get to that, got a few announcements to make. First is, I actually know Jody and Sean from my undergrad at the University of Washington. And I'm doing this little, you know, they say, they say going to college, a big part of it is networking and meeting people. And sometimes, you know, you really don't know where those relationships will manifest um, in the future or wherever. And it's been since I graduated the University of Washington, I think it was like 2001. You know, it's been a while, almost 20 years since, uh, you know, that relationship started. So and now we're back here again, and they're doing this awesome thing with the residency. I'm doing my MFA studies. And it's just like, well, there you go, a connection I'm doing. I'm definitely collecting my friends that are doing cool art stuff and having conversation with them as you listen to um, Mike Lovett from my high school days at Franklin High School. We had a podcast with him doing awesome art stuff. Of course, all the new people I'm meeting at San Diego State University recording podcasts with all the cool people over there. And then, you know, there's a bunch of people from my undergrad time at the University of Washington and Jody and Sean are a couple of them. So it was awesome to have them on. I'm doing a listener appreciation uh, quote unquote giveaway. It's a combination giveaway slash paying you to be my advertiser. So what I'm doing is I'm going to do $25 gift card giveaway to Amazon to anyone who shares this podcast. So all you got to do is share the podcast on any platform, add the hashtag WOTSMFAC. So it's We're on the Street, MFA Chronicles. So the two podcasts I'm doing, because I'm cross, cross-pollinating or whatever, both platforms, both podcasts together for this giveaway, because I'm, I'm going to be releasing a bunch on both platforms over the next week or so. So everybody has a chance. You can enter as many times as you want. The thing is, I have to be able to see it in order to be entered. So using that hashtag will help. Also, just tag me wherever you are. If it's Instagram, it's at underscore the Zim. If it's Twitter, it's the Zim, S-T-H. If it's Facebook, it's the Zim Seattle. And then, then, of course, if you are a friend of mine already on Facebook, you can tag my personal profile as well. That other tag is for my page, the Zim page. But it'll be a $25 giveaway, and I guess in about a week or so, I will announce the winners. I'll collect them all, scour the internet for all these, hopefully these hashtags, these these shares that happened. And um, I'll pick four people. And you can only win once, but you can enter as many times as you want. We already are at our three-minute mark, and I haven't even got to all the things I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to extend this intro just a hair more. Patreon.com slash the Zim is a way to be a Patreon supporter as well. It's And we do have a new Patreon. So at the beginning, whenever I get a new Patreon support, supporter, I will announce you at the beginning. But from here on out, she will also be announced at the end of every episode of my podcast. And her name is Rowan Chamberlain. Thanks a lot for supporting the podcast. You can be our third Patreon supporter by going to patreon.com slash the Zim. There's some incentives over there. I am gearing up to do a live version of the podcast um, more information forthcoming. I guess you can find out on at underscore the Zim on Instagram and at the Zim STH on Twitter. I'll be announcing all the details about the live version of the podcast. I'm going to save it for this intro because we're already over the amount of time I like to do. And mfachronicles.com is where you can find out more information. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. All right, let's start talking with Jody Rockwell and Sean Landis. And just to let you know, I left 
it all there, basically. Everything we did, I hit record, we went. So the very beginning, first minute or so is two minutes, maybe. It's kind of a rambly part. Then we get into the the bulk of the podcast, the conversation. And then at the end, they actually asked me a couple of questions. So I talk about myself for a little bit. So, you know, 99% of the podcast is Jody and Sean talking about Rockland and other things, you know, it's them. But then there's like that other 1% is me talking. All right, we're way over my intro time. It's four minutes and almost 45 seconds. So let's get on this conversation with Jody and Sean. Wow, you look like a radio star. Yeah, totally, totally radio star. Hi. Oh, oh so awesome oh to gosh. see you. See you. you look so cool. Hey. So, no, you you look cool. What are you talking about? You guys look cool. I don't know. Okay, you have a real, you have a little, like a real live boomy mic thing. Yeah, totally. You might think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> It's a, it's all a front. It's all a facade. Don't don't trust anything you it. see. Your eyes deceive you. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> and are those are all your drawings in the background? Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm doing the drawings. I'm I'm like I'm in I'm in art school again. I'm doing the thing. Wow. Are you in grad school? Grad school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How much time do you have left? You said two years or something. Yeah, I'm, I just started basically. So I just finished my first year of, of grad school. So, yeah, it's going good. I'm glad you get three years given the COVID situation. So you have a little extra time in grad school. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could definitely go into that whole thing. But honestly, it's just, just this immediate kind of reaction of like this this year of doing this. It's, it's not a big deal for me. <laughs> it's like the way I work and what I'm doing, it's like, I'm lucky that I don't need a shop, you know, this is my studio and this works out well for me. And, and I've wanted to be light anyway. I've wanted to work and be like, I don't want to have stuff and I don't want to like need a lot in my lifestyle and the way that I'm doing things. So I'm like minimizing anyway. So this whole thing, like I've actually like, I don't know, I feel like I've been setting myself up in a way that this moment in time is not as much of a shock to my system as it may be to other people. But so I'd love to hear from your perspective, like what, um, if it's a shock for your system or not, like what's going on. I have a couple, I'm already recording by the way. It's just, we're going, we're doing it. But, <laughs> and then we can feel free, you know, we can make this um, anything that we want really. I have definitely have a couple of questions to go to run off of but since there's three of us and you guys can ask each other questions you can ask me questions we can make this a conversation in any format we feel like but um but yeah so there's no no necessarily any rules to this thing so okay cool just and then what do you do you go in and edit it some of some of it a little bit of i kind of i like to keep it pretty raw and, and real you know i don't try to like pick out the bet i just it's conversational in a way so just let it kind can of you take out. If I say, um, can you take that out <laughs> later? Uh, we could, uh, but I don't typically, I even do those kind of things. I have a few crutch words. I have my little, um, I have my little post-it note here. I put on my computer to say, to try to remind myself to, to not say certain words. Oh yeah. So but I've, then you see the word and you want to read it. And so you say down the list. Well, so my, so I'll take a little, um, 
this is what I do to help myself not say those words is I basically just slow down. Because when I get excited and start to get talking and doing things, then the crutch words start to populate. But if I just go, yeah. okay, breathe, slow down, it's okay, don't need to worry about having this be a race or anything, then it really helps. So that's just my little technique. So down the line, maybe if you need it to remember that, you could use that. Here you go. Gave you <laughs> nuggets. 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 So um let's talk about um let's start with I don't know what we should start with. I always start with the just kind of what's going on with the pandemic. It's kind of where I start and seeing how it's been affecting you guys and what how that's uh I don't know what your thoughts are. What's what's been happening? I know you mentioned in your email chain you're um doing construction on I guess on Rockland, but you're also doing and probably Sean, you probably is that still your job being a construction worker? Yeah. So, yeah, general contractor. Yeah, so that's probably so, I'm sure the same same as what I was doing when you when we knew each other. Yeah. The UW so um and then we could and then you're te you said teaching as well and then also homeschooling now so you have kids yeah yeah so i i teach full-time at a private high school okay i teach art and we're in remote learning now and then our two kids are home they're 10 and 12 and they're also in need of some kind of support sometimes they're in need of getting outside more <laughs> i know <laughs> We all are though, right? Yeah. I don't know. Are you guys, how are you guys with like getting mm -hmm. out? Like what has been the biggest, I mean, for you, the biggest, I guess, disruption and and how you're, how you're um, figuring out to navigate that with the, the pandemic? For me, the disruption was to um, make this my last year teaching at the high school. I've been there 18 years and it's disruptive when you're about to part from a community after that long and not have them around you. So my other transition is to plan for what's next. And as I was getting ready for what's next, that kind of fell flat mm -hmm. as well because everything shut down. So everything's on hold when I'm ready for shifting and transition. And so it's doing it but it just took a about a month or two to adjust to the new normal. Yeah, and I'd like to dig in on that a little bit. Have you already started to think about, so the initial plans of what's next may not even be able to be the reality at all, you know, in a way like, um, how are you living with this idea of how long the new normal will last and what does that mean to you? Like, have you already started to think like, well, maybe that original what's next plan is not going to happen the way I thought. And I need to actually start right now thinking about the new what's next plan. I realized that, you know, when it fell flat and everything shut down, my energy and excitement and inspiration for it all happening, like making art and um, educating and stuff was, you know, it was the energy for me that was like a real letdown. And I got a little bit bummed out. And then kind of stopped wanting to do anything. But I realized when I bounced back out of that mode that it's actually kind of the same plan. Because I would like to work one-on-one -on -one private lessons with adults, which can happen as we are able to social distance with small groups. 
and I want to make art and figure out how to sell it online, which can happen because I work alone in my studio. And so all of that's possible. I just needed to like get back up again and get excited again and, you know, have a positive outlook about people wanting art in their life right now. Were there any tools for you that you were able to like, was there something that you needed to do personally to help you through that phase? Like, did you need to just decompress and do nothing and let things happen? Or did you actively have to meditate or talk with Sean or whatever, what it might've been like, did, were there any things that in that, in that phase of going through this moment that helped you through it? Um, lots of conversations with Sean, lots of walks. Um, you know, I can only lay in bed for so long and read and then I kick myself and go, okay, time to motivate. So I just don't allow myself to go too long in that phase. I mean, I do it. It goes in and out. Um, I, yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, just kind of getting tired of a repetitive thing. Like I can also get tired of just going on walks and then I need something else to shake it up. It gets too routine and monotonous. So yeah, it comes in waves. I don't know that there was anything in particular, but lots of things all at once too. Like, I don't know. I think conversations with Sean help. It, and, yeah. And friends, you know, friends who believe in it and want to do it and believe it's going to come out better on the other side. We spend a lot of time at our house in general. So I think one thing about the, pandemic that wasn't a total shocker is that like we we like each other we get to hang out at home together and you know it's not without strife at time and some stress and some uh aggravation but you know for the most part I, i'm super thankful that we have a house and a small yard and that we're you know in seattle is you know one of the epicenters um but at the same time do you remember maybe I'm just kind of thinking about this out loud, but like the one thing that's kind of funny about Seattle is that thing that, and I don't a hundred percent believe in this. I've had great experiences with a lot of people, but like that Seattle freeze where people are just kind of stick to themselves and they're walking around through the neighborhoods and in a weird way, like the pandemic is like, okay, everybody in the world put on a Seattle freeze yeah. <laughs> and, and then you, you know, you are, we are all kind of isolated in that way. And I guess in a, in a, in a strange way in Seattle, because of the weather, there's this kind of, you know, everybody kind of hunkers down over the winter and then, um, you know, how in the spring, one thing that's really awesome about the Northwest is that like people just get so freaking happy in the spring and the sun and, you know, like all of the, you know, people, people's bodies start coming out and skins all over the place, you know, for our few months of warm weather. And so I think, you know, in a, in a way, like we're kind of primed for that. And at the same time, uh, having all of the venues and restaurants shut down is really hard on, I think on everybody. I, I didn't, 
you know, in the last five years, I don't go out that much, but, you know, I'll go to comedy shows and maybe some music show. And now, you know, it's kind of like been a few months of not going to any of that, which might be a regular break for me. But now that I'm ready to go out or something, I'm like, oh, I, that's, I don't know when that's going to happen. So there's that mystery of when, when things are going to open up. And then secondly, I think, when are people going to go? I think in some ways, like, things will open up, but I think that people are going to be reluctant to get together, even if things are open. Which is very different in other parts of the country, where things are open right now, and they're all in it without, with abandon. Yeah, I wonder of myself how much of that um, is the news, is what we're seeing versus what people are really doing. Because um, I'm also on that that line of thinking of even if the local government says yes you can do this i'm still gonna play the wait and see game and just go like okay everybody that wants to jump in it can do that i'm gonna wait and see and see another two months three months and see how it actually and and be cautious wear my mask try to still self-quarantine as much as possible how are you guys like you, you just mentioned you that thought is in your mind of like will people want to go out how are you in that realm are you more of like play it safe or are you anxious to get out there like where do you feel you're living in that realm i don't feel like i do much i kind of go to the grocery store and wear the mask and everything but if i go out walking i don't have a mask and i'm pretty much in my house or on a walk that's about it I, Alex, are you asking if things open up, would we go? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of answered it already because you said you're kind of stay-at-home types anyway. But, um, but yeah, I just wanted to feel like where you you're you are personally in this eagerness or not, or does it even matter to you? I guess it kind of doesn't matter as much. I think by the time the end of the summer comes, I think that the, the, the isolation, I think I'm talking to people where, you know, we have two boys, 10, uh, 10 and 12, right? So we have a kind of a circus going on in our house every day. And there's a lot of activity, even in quarantine, but there's people out there that are like, don't have kids, don't have a partner, you know, spend a lot of time. And I think that the isolation it even wears on, I, I'm guessing on those people is a little bit more intense. I don't even know. I've, I haven't quit working. I own a small construction company and it, we're working on a small project. So it's just me and another guy. And then we've been social isolating from the subcontractors and stuff. So uh, I've been still pretty busy, but I, you know, I miss being able to get together with friends uh, just casually, like, wherever and my I, I coach baseball for both my kids and so uh literally baseball got canceled and and in a weird way that's kind of a big part of my social life working with these kids being a coach having other coach i like all the other coaches that i coach with and that's springtime is just jam-packed with baseball typically and having that pulled out you know in this last week also has been like um a, a sad realization and 
you know, just not sports are so, I mean, I'm not a huge sports person personally, but I like baseball and I like the, the, um, I like little league, uh, and I like kids sports and being involved in that stuff. Um, and I'm sad that that's kind of pulled out of our whole equation. Yeah. I, um, realized that for myself, it's similar. There's a, there's some similarities with, you know, I'm already kind of an introverted person. I, there's like a lot about this whole situation. It's like, I'm almost living the life I want where I'm working in this studio and I'm able to make a little bit of money with projects from people by just working at my computer and doing like video stuff or doing whatever it is and, or doing these podcasts or whatever, you know, and like, that's what I want. That's the, this is the life I want. And I'm kind of forced, forced into it. But I realized there's one thing that would really bum me out if it doesn't happen. And it's if the, if the Seahawks can't play, like if the, if the football season doesn't happen, I'll be like, Oh man, <laughs> that'll suck. Yeah, and there's people out there that are, you know, huge. I mean, sports, watching sports is a huge activity for people. It's an escape. And it's a place mm-hmm. where people connect too, right? Like, like people that are into sports will like, they have a whole language and conversation around sports and they might not have anything else in common. Um, you know, I have, you know, I have some friends that are into sports and I, you know, I'm not, so it's, uh, but so there's a lot of, um, details of loss that are going on right now. And I'm real curious about how, how this will affect our psychology as a community, as individuals, um, it's it's um, it it's a huge this the, this global pandemic is the first time that the whole world is dealing with the same issue. I mean, even World War II, it's still uh, uh, some of the countries. It's not all the countries, but this is all the countries, and we're all having to kind of face face the music together on it, and it's pretty fascinating what i find possibly interesting is the idea that these kids that are maybe like three to four years old right now like like building memories like those are kind of earliest memories tend to be around that age and there's some of their earliest memories will be having to wear a mask and i think we're in this for like at least a year or if not longer i mean it's really i feel like we're in it until science catches up with it until there's some kind of like vaccination or something like that and that's from all what i've heard it's a ways out so we're Mm -hmm. we're gonna be in this for a while so it's um at least that's my my take i mean everybody has their own take on how long we're gonna be in it but uh so like yeah leading i was gonna say like you're saying it's your take but it's the science and i haven't heard a legitimate scientist i mean i just the people that i feel like have a grasp on this Nobody's saying that it's going to be over anytime soon. It's the politicians that, that have to deal. They kind of, and I, and I, I appreciate this. They don't want to shock people, any of the governors. They don't want to say it's going to be until next January at best case scenario. Hmm. They have to deal with 
they have to deal with the mental health of the people that are in their states. And the economy. I mean, I think that's more what they care about, but it is all linked together. I think our governor cares about us. I like our governor. I think some governors really care about their people. and, And the reason that they're shutting things down is to preserve people's health. And then they have to balance the mental health and they have to balance the economy. It is an, uh, it's an absolutely, you know, it's like the worst time to be a governor and the best time to be the governor. They all get plenty of attention right now. And yet they are also getting a lot of attention. Do you feel, so that's okay. So that's kind of where I'm having issues with how our government's handling this as a, like I feel California and Washington and New York possibly are like the three places that are kind of handling it the best from my perspective. You know, there's they're being very um, deliberate about this kind of idea, but then there's also other messages from maybe like the presidential level and different things that it, it just doesn't, there's like mixed messages. And that's really what I'm getting confused about because I know I have a high level of anxiety anyway, and I need my leadership to kind of guide, to be my leadership. And when the leadership seems fractured, I get frustrated, I get confused, and I'm, I'm angry about it. And it's like, it's causing, you know, it's a weird reaction for me. I mean, is there anything for that for you as well? Are you feeling confused about the messages or anything? I haven't looked at the news in many weeks. I don't know yeah. what the status is for everybody. Um, I don't, I don't need to be online any more than I have to than outside of teaching. So I, I retreat to my home studio when I can. And I, and I just try to be safe and not get wrapped up in it. So, but you can more. Yeah. Well, I keep a little bit of track. I mean, I, I listen to podcasts in the mornings to the New York times daily and kind of keep track in that capacity. And then, or, what is it called? Is it called the Daily? The Morning Podcast by the New York Times? Do you know? I don't know. Um, and then uh, Trevor Noah, he does the Daily. <laughs> I don't know. They both say the name, same names or whatever. Mm-hmm. But so I get comedy news, which you know, there's it's news with a bend. It's kind of like what I can handle in a way. But I I also just feel like. Um, you know, the Trump administration is trying to fracture our government from the federal. I mean, it's very within the lines of thinking that I, I believe that the Trump administration is about is trying to push all the responsibility back on the states. And that's a consistent message that they've had throughout their whole tenure. The thing that's frustrating is that the coordination between the states is lost because the federal government is pushing it on the state. So, you know, it's kind of like that argument between states' rights and uh, the federal government's rights. And I think, you know, Trump, you know, he kind of likes to have it both ways, right? He likes to think that he can tell the governors what to do. And then at the same time, he, he's, you know, throwing bombs by getting the protesters riled up. It just seems like he's not, not at all surprising. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth, but I think that it's that kind of, if I was a governor, like the governor of Georgia, who 
you know, was like, we're going to open up. And then the next day, Trump is like, I didn't I didn't tell him to say that. You know, I, I don't think that's a good idea. But the governor is just trying to do what Trump wants. And once, you know, I just feel like it, I think I'm explaining all of this to get back to your point of it's anxiety building because there's not a clear message. And Trump waffles on some of his points. And so I think that's really hard to have a coordinated effort. And I think any past president would have done better than him at uh, coordinating the efforts of the federal government to help the state governments. Um, so I, and I, so I'm not I, I think that it's it, 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 the thing that you're describing seems like what it is to build anxiety in the public. So. And hopefully, I'm going to use this as a transition, hopefully our practice as artists can help relieve our own personal anxieties. I know doing my drawings and just being busy and making things really does help me stay regulated. So like Jody, you were mentioning um, trying to get like into your practice more. Let's... Um, use this as a moment to talk about our practices define yourself as an artist like let's start with you jody and like where do you how do you when somebody asks you what what it is you do as an as an artistic outlet and the the work you make well how do you answer that um i'm a ceramic artist and i make functional work and i make installation and i make sculpture but it's all rooted in the wheel and so the pottery wheel is kind of a physical and mentally engaged activity. And there's other materials too, but they come later if I'm in that art making mode. But sometimes I just need the physicality, especially if the pandemic is asking me to do a lot of admin work and Zoom teaching and all this stuff. And I just sometimes I'm like, I have to get out of here away from this computer land virtual world and get my hands in something real so that's my practice and sean have, have you been able to continue a practice of art making or how do you incorporate it being a contractor still like is that your outlet when you get to do projects there or how do you access your um your art kind of pure art well, my focus in the last three to four to five years has been developing the Rockland uh, facilities to run these residencies. So I end up doing kind of what I call um, <laughs> build design. Have you heard of design build firms? I'm a build design firm where I go and start building. And as I'm building it, the, the you know, the design unfolds itself and i think that's the nature of remodeling houses too it's just like having a real like clear up front concept of what you want and then making that happen is not exactly what i do and so i suppose my outlet is trying to develop this property and have you seen the rockland residency website that has the the uh the property and the like the lodge and the tents and we've got a barn with studios in it now 
all of that is like this kind of giant project where I have to kind of put together all the pieces and figure out, oh, I got to do this thing before I do that thing. And we're coming to the beginning of what I would kind of call phase two. Phase one was fixing the lodge, the log cabiny lodge place, and that got fixed. And now we can use that for our artist residency. And we also rent it out for people that have like, you know, kind of 20 groups of 20 people that want to use it for the weekend here and there retreats, yoga retreats and stuff like that. And then phase two was to try to get the barn online, get the ceramic studio, the wood shop and a clean studio and a little apartment up there. And so that's all, you know, virtually finished. And then phase three is to start building these tree houses. So they're going to be livable tree houses and the artists can use them as studios, live workspaces. And then they can also be rented out to people to kind of keep our finances afloat in this whole endeavor. So right now, a lot of my energy goes into figuring out how to develop that property and get the proper permits to build these tree houses so that they're, you know, legal spaces in a way. So uh, that, you know, they can be insured and safe and all of that stuff. So I would say definitely for the last three years, if I'm not physically working out there, I'm making plans to uh, do things. The way you describe that build design sounds like a sculpture. So you're just working on sculpture on a very large scale. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not unlike art drill that is a it's you build it and then you can bring people together artists from all different genres come together in community and so i think sean is really good at that is having that overall arching vision and then the capability of building to bring people in and i support figuring out how to communicate with all these people and get them there on time you know now you brought up art drill and nobody in the podcast world knows what that is now you have to explain in a synopsis three sentences um art drill was a way of getting students out of the classrooms which were very isolated with the door and open them up to each other when we were in university it was a collective activity to have art shows at the university and we had do you think that you have a poster? Yeah, I still have a. Ah, you do. I, I still have an art. You know, that what you were rummaging around back there for? Just right there in uh, the room. So this, so this box of boxes right here, I've been carrying around with me since undergrad, and they're like <laughs> a bunch of art I made in undergrad. That's like what I have right there, and it's so there is an art drill poster in there. I just it was making noise and it was coming. I just was like, I'll find it at the end. Well. They can't you see know, it. It's anyway. a podcast that people can't see it anyway. <laughs> but I wanted but we can see it because we're zooming. Yeah, but I did want to when you brought that up. So art drill has been massively influential for me, like continually, like good everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble here for a second, but everything that I've done or a lot that I've done, like community building is important to me as well. And when I got into grad school, it's like it's like that's like the energy I want out of grad school is like the way we just as students did what we were we wanted something more in a way and and we engaged each other and it wasn't about the classroom it was about kind of that whole just community of who we are and just and I'm like oh I want to do this 
find a way to do this in grad school as well. Like, how can I access this? And I think I'm actually kind of doing it, but, um, cool. it, so I'm excited about that. You know, I got little things going on and actually this pandemic again is another thing. Like I said, I started this kind of, um, mental health Monday check-in where I just invite everybody that's a grad student, really anybody, but, um, mainly for the grad students to just talk to each other, to have a moment, an intentional moment of like, if they're frustrated about being cooped up or if they're frustrated about school or if they're fresh or whatever, or if they're just happy about something, they want to share it. It's a moment that it's an opening, hopefully an opening for people to do that. And I've gotten a good response from it so far. So I'm excited about it. I like that you brought up Rockland. We'll use that as this is a transition into starting to talk more about Rockland. Um, the, the thing that I re I didn't realize, well, a couple things. Now that I'm in school again, I didn't really know what a residency was at all. Like, and I saw a couple, maybe a couple of years ago, I started to follow you on Instagram with the Rockland stuff. And I, I jumped on when it moved to the woods and I didn't really know about the, the urban Rockland at all until like today, basically doing some like snooping around and going, oh, there's a whole other story. There's a whole other life of this thing. Uh, so I was wondering, there's a couple questions here. I was wondering if you can explain, maybe start with your, why you wanted to start this, this residency idea just at the beginning. Like what was, what was the conversation you guys had together? Like, let's, let's start a residency. And what did that look like to you? And what, what was the, the initial goal of it? Well, Joe, you said that I had this idea for starting a residency for 20 years, meaning that like back from when we were at the UW, I would say that it probably, you know, it's a kind of a, a morphing of the art drill principle of like, hey, let's all just come together and make this thing happen. And that's really attractive to me. I've always really appreciated a good atmosphere and a good community to make art in. So I really like being alone and in a community all at the same time. And so I think that's what I really liked about art school is like you have your studio and you go do that thing, but then you leave your studio and then there's like freakazoids that you get to go and play with outside of your studio or you collaborate with them and then start doing this stuff. And, you know, it's just this just energy building. And I think that's what was successful about the art drill circumstance. So after I graduated, I, um, I, so, I mean, whatever I figured out that these artist residencies exist and then I applied to go to one and the first one I went to was the art farm which is in Nebraska and uh, you know I was lucky because like some artist residencies are really hard to get into and they pay and all this stuff but this one you know all you had to do is get yourself there and they put you up and then they give you a little studio and, and then you make what you can you bring all your own equipment whatever you need um they had a little bit of stuff but not 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 a ton but it was just a cool atmosphere and then i was there with four other artists and a writer a musician a sculptor um and it was just uh it's just a great time to just extract yourself from the regular flow of life and just give your art practice 100% attention and be in a community of people that are also doing the same thing. And then I applied to more residencies and got into most of the ones. I went to one in Mexico, uh, 
I went to one called Acre, which if you ever want to go to a residency, Acre is an excellent one. It's outside of Chicago. All the people that run it are kind of Chicago-based, but it's up in Wisconsin, near Madison. Not, not, not a heck of a long ways from Madison. But well, I saw this, and I, I, I guess it continued to grow my curiosity or my drive to start some kind of residency. And Jody and I are both really social people. We love getting around other artists, especially, you know, eccentric characters. And it's pretty, we, we, I bought this duplex in Seattle right before this last like exponential price growth up here. I bought a duplex and I was going to remodel it and then just rent it out. And about right after I started remodeling it, I kind of, had the realization like oh if I want to start a residency is that what I'm going to do with my retirement or if I want to start a residency you know who knows when you're going to die or something's going to happen and it's not going to work so I was like well went to Jody and I was like hey what about this what if we I, I finish remodeling this duplex we rent out one side full-time and then the smaller side we furnish it and then we rent it out short-term um like with Airbnb or vacation rentals uh, or short-term rentals through Craigslist and stuff for nine months. And then maybe we can host artists for three months. And that's when Jody and I started working together. She helped to develop the whole invitation and all the admin behind this and develop the website and put it all together. And it's just kind of cool because, you know, we just make it up as we go along. It's not a, I, we're both skilled people and we both have done a lot of different things. Like I do a lot of construction and I can make all that happen, but you know, Jody has a stable job and we can, we could afford to buy this, you know, uh, an investment property. But at the same time, we wanted to not just use it as an investment property, but then to give it away. So when the artists would come, they don't pay anything to, to be there, right? They don't pay rent or anything. They just use the space for free. And then we started hosting dinners and stuff and trying to just bring the community of Sa Seattle together around a visiting artist. And then we got press, we got an unsolicited grant and just kind of, it was a great, just being able to host one artist in residence really helped us to figure out what this thing was, what it looked like and then get good press on on it and tons of support from local artists and um, philanthropists. I mean, not tons of support from philanthropists, philanthropists, but some, enough. And then um, it kind of turned out, like I thought maybe when we were retirement age, we would do the larger version that would be outside of the city to be able to host, you know, 15 to 20 artists at a time but sure enough we just kind of rolled with it and bought this next property so we opened in 2015 the urban rockland and then you know we kind of leveraged our debt and twisted everything that we could to get this other property and then started to develop it so i've been out there for two years just remodeling and rebuilding it to make it a place that can host people. And then we ran pilot programs, you know, you, I mean, 
the thing about running a residency is like you don't have to apply to one just get your artist friends together and go do one make one happen somewhere you know that's kind of that same principle as art drill like i think and then just put it on your resume give it a name and put it on your resume nobody's going to argue with you about it and it's super fulfilling so that's is that enough of an answer from me what what how did i do did i miss anything Jody? in this kind of idea of figuring it out you mentioned um in your experience going to your own going being a resident places plus now that you've done this residency for since it says 2015 is when it started in the house up till now so five years of running a residency what are some of the flagpole kind of things that you were like in your experience of being a part of one like i want to make sure that doesn't happen with mine or or something that's gone along like okay that was a mistake or that was let's let's divert let's not do that again or are there any things like to look out for like as a maybe as a both as somebody who wants to start a residency but also somebody that wants to apply to one like what what could you be looking for that you might be a a good um things to look at look for I, one thing about starting one in the duplex that we were thinking might be an obstacle was that it wasn't a very big space. It's a one bedroom apartment with no real dirty studio to work in. And as I was designing the website and we were creating our mission statement, it started to really structure the thing. And I realized, oh, we need to offer out in Seattle what the benefit of being in an urban residency is that you have access to other studios that aren't really at the place your uh, your accommodations are. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll put those out there so people don't feel like they're just stuck in a house and they can make art at Pratt, which is a local, um, you know, glass and metal, studio or a local photography northwest maybe they could go rent space there and do their photography there but what happened was nobody really needed it nobody needed a studio space i mean we have had a couple painters but mostly people are out doing a lot more like um video work performance work uh more like social practice or like interacting with community and coming up with ideas that are out in the world that artists don't always just stay in a studio and make things traditionally. So you don't need as much as you think to run a residency. You don't have to just be for writers that don't need much. Um, so that was pretty enlightening to see how it was put out there to legitimize the, the space, but nobody used it. They were happy working on their computers and interacting with the, you know, the local scene. And I'd say that our residencies so far, um, we've we've run a few group residencies, maybe three. Um, we had a pilot in the summer, we had a winter one, and then another summer one. Um, I, they've gone really well, like shockingly well. I, I don't know that I would really have to troubleshoot and change a whole lot and tweak things. It's uh, it's been really um, received with great appreciation. There's a there's the sense of generosity happening with everybody feeling like safe so they can be vulnerable and who they are and talk about whatever they need to talk about. 
and take space for themselves. It's just been really, it seems really good. We've had very positive experience with the residents. Maybe on the website, you noticed that we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so the whole principle is that we're trying to trying to provide everything in the lower section of the pyramid, uh, you know, food, shelter, community, love, uh, attention, what else? Belonging. Belonging. So that when the artists are in that space, right, so we hire a chef, that would be like giving them the food, um, providing all of that, so that when they're there, they really just get to focus on themselves, and that's tr trying to get to that, you know, that kind of peak experience of art making where you kind of feel self-realized and actualized. And that's a pretty exciting place to be, I would say, as an artist. I mean, that's you like where you get in your groove and you, it, it, you know, one thing that I love the residencies because we do hire a chef and my favorite part is just being cooked for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because, I mean, we cook a lot in our lives. Jody and I both cook. We eat at home. We cook with our kids. It consumes an immense amount of time and energy thinking about what you're going to eat, going to get the things that you need to make the food. You make the food. You eat the food. You clean up after the food. It's just like, I mean, I love, I love all of that. And it's totally time consuming. So once the residencies happen and we have the chef there, just like you show up at noon and there's a giant table full of food, you show up at six, there's a giant table of food and you eat for half an hour and then go back to your practice and you can hang out and socialize if you want to, or you can just get back to what you're there, you know? And I feel like it's, it, it's, Having a chef seems like such an extravagant activity to me. I mean, it's nothing that's within my ballpark of life expectancies, accomplishments, or anything like that. It just seems like something that happens in the White House. But we learned that it's it's not a luxury. It's a, a it's a mandatory component of the residency we might not always do it but as long as we can afford to do it we really want to provide that for the artists particularly when you're talking about groups of um 12 to 18 you know if this group size is smaller than 10 then that's a little bit more intimate and easier to handle but the only thing i would say maybe is we should hire a dishwasher that would improve our residency program a lot better these are you, you want to hear a fight alex we're going to talk about whether we should hire a dishwasher or not bring it on I, so my pushback on that is that um i i like washing dishes so i'm not totally opposed to that activity so what happens in previous residencies is everybody signs up to, to come and do the dishes you know once every three days for and it's a big job it's all the dishes right so it's a pretty big deal takes up some time, but that's, I think that there's a, a part of that particular activity that the people that are the residents are helping out and people want to help out. 
and it's not the most glamorous job, but you also do it with one other artist. So it's a time to kind of like hang out and work together and have some time to, you know, just a little bit of a different context to learn about another artist or another kid. We had an artist residency with artists with kids one summer and it was kind of cool. Like we mixed it all up. So I like worked with somebody else's kid doing the dishes once and it's fun. And I think it also it, it gives people a little bit of skin in the game of uh, feeling like they're helping out. So it would be a we might try it. We might try a dishwasher. I have two things. First, just dishes, a little tangent. I'm the type that I'd rather do the dishes than have them be like it annoys me way more that dish, dirty dishes exist than the act of doing them. So I'm just like, let's get them done. Let's do them. Let's yeah. go for it. Um, but I also relate very much relate to this idea of the time consumption of um, being cooking. Right. We do all our own cooking here. And I'm I feel like I'm in my own little residence for the moment uh, based on your description, because I my mom lives with me. And she does all of the cooking for us. And so I'm able to just focus on my school and work. And I do laundry and stuff. I do other chores, but she does all the cooking. So it's like, I just, she texts me when it's ready and I go out and eat and it's amazing. It's like, I could focus, wow. I could focus on the work. I don't need to like think about, oh, now I need to go cook something, you know? So I can relate. Or to even go, even go to the, the, even to go get takeout or go to a restaurant and eat. I mean, it's still... That's that's a different kind of time consumption and cost. The other thing that um, is an important thing for the residents that we have is to really spell out explicitly that they have permission to do what they need to do for themselves. And that might not look very productive and then they feel guilty for their, their they don't look busy or they're not producing a lot. And we wanna support them in their unwind and you know to take naps to take walks to float on the lake um and just do nothing if that's what's going to decompress their busy mind and then open up space for creative ideas to come because they may not happen in the studio while you're working they may be happening while you're on a walk or off doing something else and um i've heard quite a few people express gratitude for the explicit permission to just do what you need to do there's no judgment about how you spend your time here because it's your time yeah i know so, for, yeah for myself as a person that does things i need sometimes that external validation to, that it's okay to stop because i'm like i feel like i'm i feel guilty i'm like of one of that type where if i'm not continually working and busy and doing things then i do feel guilty like oh i wasted that day but it's like then I realized like if I work 10 days in a row without a break, I just fry myself. So I'm like, I got to have those downtimes. And so it's, sometimes it is nice to have that external validation of saying like, it's okay to stop, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that we feel very, um, we, we feel passionate about is having a residency that doesn't require much of the resident coming. And I'm, and I'm realizing that if you want grant money, you have to reach the community. Like how many people does this serve? How many people are impacted by your residency? 
Um, is it just the one artist or do you have a panel or a presentation that includes 200 neighborhood community members watching and, you know, like to ask the resident to sit on a panel and give a presentation to people is something that they have to prepare for and it derails their creative process. You know, it might be professional and add to their resume but it derails the creative process. And I think we're more excited about supporting the creative mind and the creative process, whether that's just like generating new ideas or finishing things if they need to. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of tricky because we are just wanting to protect the artists themselves from all those other obligations. And so it's kind of a, yeah. So far, so far, so good on that. But we've had we've had to try just to stretch it a little to see if it was okay to receive grant money. And I'd say it's not worth it to, to ask the artist to do anything, produce anything, do any outreach. Like I just love the idea of them having time given, period, no strings attached. There's a lot of different models of the artist residency so that Sometimes uh, you come to the artist residency, but then you go to the local community college and do a presentation or you teach something somewhere or you give the residency one of the pieces of art that you made while you were there. We don't think that that is helpful. I mean, I would like to have some of those art pieces, but I, it's not about me, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And we do. They, and they, they, they end up gifting us stuff, but it's like some residencies actually have that as a requirement. And I, I always feel like that's a little bit, uh, I don't know. You know, it's just a different kind of model. I just don't, I don't like it myself and I don't think I would be too excited about it. And also the other level is that we are trying to keep this whole, the idea with the lodge and the local thing was, the, the Rockland Urban was we're trying to create this hybrid business model. So we've got one side where we rent the thing out and, uh, you know, fully capitalist trying to maximize the profit on renting it out as much as we can to groups and, or, you know, individuals, whatever comes by. But then we have this other half that's not money hungry so that, the finances stay on one side and the artists and the creative um, efforts stay on the other. And we can kind of keep a little bit of a barrier there. You know, we have to make a budget for the, for hosting the artists and stuff, but we try not to ask. We don't require money from them. Some, sometimes we ask people if they want to contribute to food, you know, a food budget, then that's fine, but it's not required. We don't want to turn anybody away they don't have the money it's about the creative action and we want them to be able to come regardless of their uh financial uh contributions and stuff so in that way we're trying to you know keep the business in one side and the art on the other and it seems like it's working so far Earlier, Jody, you mentioned your mission statement, and there was a line in the mission statement that really perked my 
kind of interests or ears. And it was this idea of dismantling oppression within the arts community. And I was wondering if you could unpack that for me and where did that come from and why did you feel like that was an important thing to state within the mission statement? Um, Sean and I both have thought about equity and racism and opportunities and who they go to for, you know, a, you know, 15 or 20 years. We haven't had to live with it being white people. Um, but once there was awareness and realization about, oh, people have different experiences in the same world I do, then um, it becomes a conversation and we're in a position of power to decide who receives the invitation to come. And it's really important to us that we reach all kinds of people. And um, we intentionally leave out the resume on our application because we don't want people who've already been given opportunities with impressive institutions who back them up to impress us with that. And there are people with really creative, innovative, brilliant ideas that may not fill out a good application, may not have the best writing, maybe English is a second language, maybe they don't have the admin chops to do it impressively. But what often stands out is their work. And that's what we put first, is we look at all the work first. And I like that. I'm, I'm really proud that we are able to decide the work that resonates with us in a strong way without all of the resume and stuff. And um, we want to be in a diverse group of people. And our default, we end up, um, if we don't put effort out, we will end up surrounded by people like ourselves. And so it takes work and intentionality about keeping that circle open. And I, I love the selection committee process when we ask for applications and we receive them. We get a diverse group of um, people together who change every application season. So the selection committee is changing, but we are sure to get each genre represented and also um, um, people of color, uh, people with different art backgrounds in on it and weigh in on it to decide together what group are we bringing together and who needs it. And sometimes they're established artists and sometimes they're emerging and don't have any residency experience, but their work is strong and they just need more time. Maybe they're young, you know? Yeah, they need the opportunity. And I think that's like I mentioned, uh, Art Farm in Nebraska. I feel like I was given an opportunity. That was one of the first places I ever applied, and then I got accepted. And I didn't have a residency on my application. I didn't have a gallery representation or anything. You know, I just sent my pictures of the stuff, and uh, apparently that was good enough for me to get in there. And I, you know, we want to try to support as many artists as possible. I'm hoping by the time I die that I've supported a thousand different residents in some capacity. I don't know, what are, what are we at now? 80? Mm -hmm. hey, I think we might do it. Uh, I, got, I got some years left. 
Um, cool. One thing I wanted to mention, and this is something that's that's been coming back at us a little bit, is like when we were running the uh, Rockland Urban, somebody that applied to the a writer that applied was in a wheelchair, and um, they got a hold of us to find out if they could, like, was it was this place wheelchair accessible? So I had to draw a picture of the footprint of the house and um, it, it was all one level. So that would work. And then I could have built a ramp and, you know, I basically I said, I, I, I think that we could do it. Um, and then that person applied uh, and they ended up not getting chosen by the writers in the, you know, that we had writers that were on the committee. That person didn't get chosen. But the fact that that person in a wheelchair applied for the residency really planted a seed in me. And I, once I started remodeling the lodge, I, the, you know, the first thing I had to add a bathroom on the first floor and I made it wheelchair accessible. The lodge is not wheelchair accessible yet, but once it is, then the bathroom is and the spaces are, I've got that in my mind. And when we start building tree houses, one of the things that I'm really excited about is building a tree house that's wheelchair accessible. I just love the concept, you know, because it just seems like these two conflicting concepts of like, how, what, how do you get in a tree house in a wheelchair? Mm -hmm. But you can do it. And so let's make it happen. And I think that's where that's just another community of people that, find a lot of restrictions physically out in the world to be able to, I mean, how many artist residencies are wheelchair accessible? Tiny. I'm sure it's just a fraction. And um, so we want to serve as many communities as possible within our means. So um, I'm, I'm super excited. And I think that having a wheelchair accessible uh, treehouse is yet also a great business investment for people that are in wheelchairs and they want to go stay at a wheelchair accessible treehouse. I mean, who doesn't want to try it? You know? So it, all of this stuff, equity, I think is absolutely worth all the energy and investment. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you feel like crap, you know, you say the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing, but you got to let that stuff go and just, believe that a more equitable life is is possible and i'm i i feel like we've grown so much in the last 20 years of our efforts and we've learned a ton we've both made mistakes and you know you do the wrong thing you say the wrong thing but that's that's what it is to be white i guess <laughs> because you know you're just absorbed by an a, an atmosphere and a culture that tells you these things and then you know, somebody somehow through reading or studying or experiences, your your mind gets blown and you're like, oh, wow, like that does sound unfair. That does seem like it would feel horrible or that question is just outright not a fair question anymore. You know, it's like. Um, so I'm we have we have tons to learn and we've learned a ton and we're working our best to do as much as we can to host as many people of color uh you know any trans 
people that, and you know, we want that to be an, a, a place for all people to gather. Any creative person should be able to get there physically and use the place. And, um, I, you know, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. I think, I think that the group, so the group so far have been, oh, just incredibly safe to be in. You can, if you make, if you make mistakes, you can, you can get called in and, and you can laugh about it and be embarrassed for a moment, but move on together too. Well, we did it. We hit, I, I go an hour. I don't know if I mentioned that. So we made our hour of conversation, which was amazing. I feel like there's more that we can investigate and I'd love to maybe re visit this whole thing in a, in a, in a while and see where you're at and see what's going on. And if you ever have anything um, that you want to like announce or anything like that, if there's any kind of something you want to get out and you feel like a podcast would be a good place to do it, let me know and we can make that happen. I'd love to be um, help amplify what you're doing with, with Rockland. I think it's pretty awesome, especially after how you explained it to me today, which is great and it was amazing catching up with you guys and seeing your faces so so awesome <laughs> Alex thanks for your support yeah it's always nice to get questioned and try to explain what the heck's going on because you know we get buried in our day-to-day -day life and child rearing and you know bill paying and working and it's just fun to kind of have the conversation surrounding the thing that we're very passionate about. I mean, we're, uh, Jody and I, I think we both feel lucky that we're partners in this endeavor because we couldn't do it without each other. And that's romantic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, thanks for getting a hold of us. And um, maybe you want to run a podcast at the Rockland Woods sometime. I'd love it. I want to do that. So one of my, um, now that I'm learning about what residencies are and things and one of my goals in life. So, so my goal is to do van life. I want to move into a van and travel and that's what I want to do. But I was like, well, this whole residency thing seems to fit that kind of reality. Well, like I can just hopefully maybe just bounce around to different residencies and do oh, that yeah. thing and, and do the van life and document and record. And part of my van life idea is to have it be a pseudo mobile studio where I can do a, a variety of different things, but especially podcasting and, and audio recording and, and, and some video production. So it's like going to these different places and documenting stories of the people there, but also my own experience and just different. So yeah, exactly. That sounds so cool. And how is your mom going to fit in your van and cook for you? <laughs> she, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> I could cook just fine by myself. <laughs> I'll be okay. I'll make I, it. <laughs> I have one important question. Yeah, yeah. How is Sarah doing? Oh, Sarah's good. You know, so you know we're all down in San Diego, right? No. Okay, I'm. That's where I am, and I'm in San Diego. And um, she's been here for like, I don't know, fifteen years. I don't even know now. Uh. Yeah, she's been here a long time. I moved down basically just over three years ago, I guess three and a half now, um, for my kids because uh, my ex-wife wanted to move down. And so we just made it all happen. It's a long story, so I won't get into it. But um, but yeah, so 
she remarried a few years ago. I don't know, five years ago. I don't remember now, but um, she's she lives on a wife or Sarah. Uh, Sarah married. Oh. Sarah married a while ago, and they live on a boat in on the one of the little harbors. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So she's doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Will you tell her hello for me and give her a big hug or a elbow bump or I don't know what's appropriate. Yeah. We're not hugging right now. <laughs> no, that's cool. I, yeah. I, you know, can I tell you one thing that I always love thinking about in about you? Please. That when we were around each other, you had this idea of collecting 1970s econo cars like you'd be the guy with the sweet collection of all these vintage econo cars from the 70s and i've always thought that was a really awesome cool idea yeah i i that's definitely like a thing i um because when we knew each other back then i had that 79 subaru wagon i don't know if you remember that but i just it, that's kind of where it started from and then my memory of like my parents like honda civic or something yeah. and that might have been like an 80 or something but but this idea of like this kind of cherried out old school cars that are just stock but cherried you know just i love that concept but i've seen some around sometimes and it's just like wow i don't i get more excited about seeing that than i do some like souped up camaro <laughs> you know i agree it's cool like it's the people's car you know they're it's a totally different mentality so i always like thinking about that i um yeah i'm i'm kind of on a different path now though like i don't want stuff anymore i'm like <laughs> i do not want a garage that has a giant that has all these cars in it like that's not what I, I want like my van and i want to travel that's like the goal in the way just like i don't need stuff anymore i it's it's it's, it's interesting just I don't know. That's a whole nother story. But how how old are your kids? What do you got for kids? They're um thirteen and fourteen. Wow. Sweet. Yeah, they're amazing. Where um I haven't really they haven't normally but pre pandemic they were here every other week basically. We would switch swap every other week. But um since March, basically since late February, I haven't they haven't been here. And I actually drove up to their house yesterday just to drop some stuff off but we were still like social we didn't hug or anything we were doing the social distancing stuff because it's just weird like for me living with my mom she's 70 so she's high risk their mom just had another baby so there's this whole thing and she's having to go back and forth to the hospital because the baby is has some needs so he's got a, a, a he's got like needed some extra help basically and and so there's just a lot of a lot of uh um x factors that are so we were just like let's just play it safe for as long as we need to and do that thing so they haven't been here but we've been every day i facetime with them and um play video games online with them and it's pretty fun we're still bit able to develop um a relationship so it's just cool i'm still recording i'm gonna hit the stop on the recording and um do that part and i have a cu couple things to follow up about real quick all right here we are we made it to the end thanks a lot if you're still here listening you are amazing you don't know what it's like you don't know what it means it's so awesome um 
you know, there's stats and stuff. People, attention spans are only so long. And I just don't know how to make short content things. All my content is long. <laughs> Hours. <laughs> well, at least an hour. So this one's coming in at about an hour and, I don't know, 16 minutes or something. Thanks a lot. Like I said at the beginning, we had a new Patreon subscriber. And so we have two now. We have Michael Knapp and we have Rowan Chamberlain. You can be our third Patreon if you want to. Patreon.com slash the Zim. There's a few incentives over there. And if you're curious, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a crowdsourcing platform that allows creators making independent creations like this podcast to ask the people that listen to it for direct support. And the way that I do it is I set up a few tiers with, you know, monthly payment tiers starting as low as $1 a month. So that'd be awesome. Hook it up. $1 a month. What's that? $12 a year? What's that? $24 every two years? I don't know. I almost think if you're on the fence, if you wanted to support and you're on the fence about, well, I'll just give them 20 bucks. I'd rather you give me $20 as a Patreon once a month for 20 months. $1 a month for 20 months than just a flat fee because it it helps the whole like uh what's it called perception of of validity perception of of yeah perception of like legitimacy <laughs> if there's a bunch of people signed up for a patreon you know it makes it oh man mfa chronicles must have someone going let me be a part of this too so but if you give me a one time donation of 20 bucks then it's just it's, it's harder to show that kind of uh, perception of support. You know, it's harder to show it, even though if you, you and I know it, the rest of the world doesn't. And that's, you know, kind of important when it comes to doing stuff and things. So, and let me explain the, the giveaway a little more. I don't know if I did a good enough job at the beginning. So basically just have to share the podcast. You make sure that I can see that share somehow if you want to be involved in the, um, you know, giveaway in the raffle, whatever you want to call it, the sub listener supported slash supported advertising crossover thing. And remember, you got to use the hashtag W O T S M F A C. I doubt I didn't even check, but I highly doubt anybody's using that hashtag, but even if they are, it'll just be the more recent ones. And you can also tag, at underscore the Zim on Instagram, if that's where you like to share things. At the Zim STH on Twitter, if that's where you like to share things. At the Zim Seattle on Facebook, if that's where you like to share things. But also, there's two ways to share on Facebook. You can tag my personal profile. If you're already friends with me, you can tag, you can type in Alexander Zimmerman and it'll probably pop up. Tag me that way. Because really, what I didn't mention at the beginning is like I'd much rather give you my money rather than like give Facebook my money to advertise because you and your friends and family and loved ones are more, I think closer to the audience that I would want to have know about this anyway. Like, I don't know who's Facebook. I don't know who sees it on Facebook, but if you share it, then I know your friends and family see it. And that's important to me. So, and that'd be awesome. Feel free to contact me if you have any questions around that. And the last thing I'll mention right now is there's another way to support this whole thing right now. Currently, we're in this pandemic times and I'm making masks. And the way I do it is it's a pay what you can model. 
well, to pay at minimum shipping. So wherever you live, it usually costs about three to $8 in shipping, depending on method and such like first class versus priority mail. I pretty much only ship through the USPS postal service stuff. So check it out. And if you want to see what the masks are like, you can go to my eBay account. It's creator Zim search creator Zim on eBay. And you can see, I have some listed there. They're on a, re a reoccurring auction. I've sold a few off of there. You can bid on those auctions, just make it easy on all of us, just bid on those auctions. Or you can contact me through any way you can find me, go to the direct messaging function on any platform and say, hey, Zim, I wanna support and I wanna buy a mask and let's do it. So that's the hopeful thing. I'm trying to sell masks in what I believe is an ethical way because you know, obviously there's a lot of people that need masks for donation and such, but honestly, I just can't justify um, the time and resources to donate the mask. So I figured why not try to make it a system that we both can benefit. If you need a mask and you can't afford one, uh, all I ask for is shipping costs, which is hopefully something that you can afford. And then, um, or if you want to support the greater cause of my education and the podcast and me being able to pay rent, then hook it up. Go to check out Creator Zim on eBay or contact me directly. And that's another way you can support. Lots of ways to support if you want to support. I don't know. And if you really want to uh, get into the hierarchy of different ways of supporting, just DM me. I'll let you know if you're into that. Uh, but all of it is awesome. And the bottom line is even even without this listener-supported giveaway I'm trying to do with the Amazon gift cards, um, just sharing the thing. It doesn't cost you any money and sharing it out and saying like, hey, this podcast is awesome. Check it out. All right, cool. Until next time, be loving, kind, and patient. Peace.